on the record. On News Talk. You're very welcome back to On the Record. Kieran Cuddy with you until one o'clock today. I am joined in studio now by Minister for Health Simon Harris to discuss obviously the fallout of uh, last weekend's referendum results. You're very welcome to the program, Thank Minister. Thank you, Kieran. Um, uh, first of all, I suppose, look, as someone who was advocating for a yes vote, I, I should congratulate you. Were you as taken aback as the, the rest of us at the scale of the? I was. The win? I mean, I, I think anybody who tells you they weren't is not telling the truth. I mean, uh, I was optimistic that the referendum would pass, and I think that became clearer as the campaign went on. But the scale. Uh, of the result was was very reassuring. I've um, I, I only met um, during the week terminations for medical reasons. A group that had been campaigning for for years in relation to this as a result of having uh, babies with fatal fetal abnormalities and just you know the sense of relief that they tell me they feel that so many citizens right across the country came out and voted yes, having heard their stories and saying we want we want to be able to provide compassionate care in our own country. So it's um it's very encouraging and and it's not just a mandate as Alva Smith from Together for Yes says it's an instruction now yeah. for those of us in the doll to actually get on and do our job. Yeah, in in terms of your job then and and in terms of legislating. I, I, I appreciate quite a bit it's still up in the air and still has to be worked out but as far as is possible can you set out what the timeline yeah. is going to be? Well, so let's 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 work back so I want all services to be legal and commenced in Ireland by the 1st of January 2019 um, to make that happen three things have to have to take place one we have to pass a law two we have to have clinical guidelines drawn up by our medical colleges how will our doctors interpret that law and thirdly we have to make sure that medicines that up until now have been illegal in Ireland are legal and regulated in Ireland um, in relation to each of those I met the opposition uh, this week and we've agreed a timetable we're going to pass second stage the first stage if you like of, of, of the debate on the legislation before the summer recess so I hope to be able to publish the law um, about the middle of July and uh, maybe a little bit earlier get it through the doll uh, in July committee stage of that legislation where you scrutinise the bill will be taken by the health committee probably at the start of September that's up to them okay. probably at the start of September and then we'll try and have it passed in the doll by the end of September and in the Shannon by the end of October so basically by the end of October I'd hope that the law of the land uh, will be exactly along the lines that I published before the referendum. Clinical guidelines, my department started working with the medical colleges this week, the Irish College of General Practitioners, the uh, Royal College of Physicians in Ireland and the Institute of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. That's going really well. And the HPRA, the former medicines board, is now working on the whole issue of how do you regulate medicines that had previously been illegal. Is it easier for the HPRA side and in terms of regulating them, I assume given that these are medicines that are available in other European countries does kind of smooth that process somewhat, does it? It does. We benefit from the fact that we're members of the European Union and members of the European Medicines Agency because this this medication is, is regulated in most of Europe and it's regulated through the EMA. So there's a thing called mutual recognition where if it's recognised yeah. in another country we can extend it here. Um, so yeah, I don't envisage that being a difficulty. In terms of the mechanics of how it works, there's been a bit of that. I know you were speaking recently in, in the last number of days about protest zones kind of came up mm. about regulating maybe what type of protest. Could, could you maybe expand on that a little bit? Yeah, look, I, firstly, we're not going to have abortion clinics in Ireland so that's important to say. So the scenes that you see in other countries where people protest and target certain clinics won't be happening here. People in Ireland voted for this to be part of an integrated healthcare service provided in the community and in our maternity hospitals. But I am concerned, I'm really concerned. Community, does see, that mean, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but community, sure does that mean your local GP practice or your local public health centre? Uh, your GP, uh, your GP. So you, it will be your local GP, it as long as they're not a conscientious objector. Exactly, and I have to say, just in case any GP is listening, we will be engaging with the representative bodies. There'll be plenty of time to negotiate how we resource and fund that. So, But, but yes, that is how it's envisaged. Okay. But in relation to these, what they call exclusion zones, what we saw during the referendum campaign, which I thought was pretty ugly, was outside a number of our maternity hospitals, uh, people protesting with, with really horrific images. 
Um, now you've got to remember there's healthcare professionals going in there that I have a duty of care to there's women going in there with their partners uh, perhaps women in a crisis pregnancy situation and it's, 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 it's a pretty ugly and non-pleasant environment to have to walk by that so I'm looking at how best you make sure our healthcare staff and women can be protected from that haven't yet worked out how to do that to be honest um, do you do it through the local authorities do you do it in legislation uh, but that's something I've committed to looking at Yeah and I think I probably should acknowledge that there's plenty of people who voted no last weekend as well who, who were slightly repulsed by oh, absolutely. a lot of those posters uh, I, 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 I fully agree with that. Fully agree with that. Uh, in terms, then, as well of the the, the mechanics inside your GP practice, um, is it? Have you got onto the stage with with the NAGP or not the NAGP? Sorry, should I say the ICGP yeah. uh, and, and others about um, about whether, say, the pills? And I understand in other countries it's two pills generally yeah. that's taken. Generally two, yeah. Uh, two pills that that would they be taking in the practice or would you be sent home? Because I think in the, in the UK it's it's different north and south of the border that's in it. Scotland. And that's exactly what they're working out now. So. I think it's really important that, that your listeners know we're not asking GPs, colleges just to draw this up on their own nor are we asking the Institute of Obstetricians we're asking them all to work together because it has to be integrated for some women depending on their own health it may require going to the maternity hospital for other women it may be particularly in early pregnancy it, it may be much less onerous a procedure so they, they're working that through now importantly they're not waiting for us to pass the legislation they're beginning the work on that now so there won't be a delay but it's really important and like there's a lot of practical things we have to look at like a telephone line maybe 24-7 if somebody actually has a query in relation making sure that GPs who haven't done this before actually have support and know that they're not isolated or alone. Looking at what do we do if there are conscientious objectors, I fully respect the right of people to conscientiously object and that will be protected in law as well. But we equally have to make sure that a woman can be looked after. So these are the issues we have to tease through. Yeah, I spoke to Dr. Barry Kiley here uh, last Saturday. Uh, we had re- coverage all day, of course, as you'd expect on the day yeah. account. And uh, she was a no voter and advocated sure. for it um, as a physician. And, and as well as being a conscientious objector, she didn't want to have to refer sure. a patient on to another GP who would provide the service. Yeah, like the law of the land though is generally very clear on this and precedent is very clear and the medical council is very clear. You can object um, conscientiously to providing a service that is legal in Ireland but you do have a duty of care to that patient to let them know that that service is available. So I, I don't actually see this being as big an issue as it's being made out to be to be quite honest. Uh, the In terms of, you, you mentioned practicalities, um, when the, on the twelve week cutoff, um, and I think it's it's kind of widely acknowledged now that I suppose the scale of the victory and yes was such that there's less probably difficulty going to be moving through that the houses of the Oireachtas that a sure. lot of people who are on the no side have said look yeah. we've got to listen to people they knew what they were voting for and they voted yes overwhelmingly. Mm-hmm. When will that clock stop? Will it be? At the point that uh, a woman rings her local GP or on her first appointment or if the 72-hour delay is there, is it that? Because I'm conscious that if someone on 11 weeks and six days rings their GP, they could be up to the 13th or 14th week by the time they get to taking the actual medication. Absolutely. So the first thing I have to say in answering that, Kieran, is already Irish women who travel to the UK, already about 70% of them access termination in the first nine weeks. So the reason the 12 weeks was there was for the very difficult situation, rape, incest, domestic violence, where it might be easy to get to, to, to a doctor, or a situation where a woman could be using long-lasting contraception and mightn't realise till week eight or nine that she's actually pregnant. So we expect, and all of the international evidence shows it, that the overwhelming bulk of this will be much earlier than 12 weeks. I think there were moments in the referendum campaign where it nearly sounded like 12 weeks, you nearly had to wait for 12 weeks. <laughs> yeah. That's not the case at all. We expect it to be much earlier uh, than 12 weeks. But the as of now and I, I will wait for the clinical guidelines and they'll have an input in this as of now you'll have to see your GP when you see your GP that will be that'll be the that'll be the, the start of the 72 hour period if you like um, three days will have to elapse then before you can access the, uh, access the medication I think that's quite important we want women to be able to actually talk to their doctor hear all of their options and make mm. an informed decision up until now 
women have had to just talk to the airline and go abroad. So I do think providing women with space, factual information and a consultation with the doctor will enable them to make the right decision for yeah. themselves. Ruth Carpenter was saying that's kind of insulting, the idea that women maybe would be going to that first appointment without having thought about it. Yeah, it's certainly not meant to be insulting and I don't think it's insulting in Portugal or Spain or the Netherlands or many other countries where they do this. It's about, if you think about it, for any healthcare procedure, you very rarely have that procedure on the spot. You know, you get all the information, you think about it and you decide whether you want to proceed. And I think a lot of Irish people wanted to know uh, that they wanted to be reassured actually that the woman would be provided with access to all her options and all her supports and that's not happening in Ireland now so the 72 hours is, is important in that regard Do you personally support um, allowing uh, putting in place a mechanism which will allow women from Northern Ireland to travel to the Republic to do. access abortion services? Yes I do I do I mean I think there would be an irony if we didn't considering so many Irish women have been travelling to the UK for the last 35 years how that happens is again something we need to wait to see but look you can already imagine the fact that Irish sorry Northern Irish people who have Irish citizenship or who can declare as Irish citizens can use the Irish health service uh, if, uh, A final question just on, on, on the mechanics and like we said at the, at, the, at the outset look a lot of this is up in the yeah. air and it's being talked about at the moment and has to be kind of hammered out um, uh, GPs as well have talked about um, in situations where there may need to be diagnostic tests and sure. not only the need for equipment but then the need for say trained people to operate that equipment ultrasonographers for example yeah. that there's a shortage of them is that something as well as funding the kind of the service when we talk about the cost of pills and the cost of uh, of uh, GP consultations is that as well something that's been looked at the cost of diagnostics yeah. or, or will people be sent away from their GP practice maybe to somewhere else where there is diagnostic equipment. So I, I think when we when we consider this question, we have to consider the fact that doctors are already dating pregnancies every day of the week. Uh, a woman goes into a doctor, t- tells her to her history, her, her cycle and the likes, and the doctor determines with her and uh, the date uh, of her pregnancy and, and when her pregnancy started. There is an issue, though, if a doctor has a concern, if they're unsure, if they're unsure of the time period, if they're worried the pregnancy might be ectopic, if they're worried about the woman's health, that they will obviously need to access uh, diagnostic equipment, scanning equipment. My sense is that they would be referred to our maternity services in that case but that's to be worked out as part of the clinical guidelines um, Safe, legal and rare it was a phrase that was used mm. right throughout mm-hmm. the campaign and I suppose the legal aspect is essentially what we voted on last yes. again it's about you talked about the timeline uh, the, the, the safety again a lot of that we've touched on and that's what's being talked about at the moment and putting in place clinical guidelines that will sure. make it safe uh, the, the rarity yeah. how to make it rare how, how are you going to make it rare I think you make it rare by trying to reduce crisis pregnancies in the first place. Like, it was really insulting during the referendum campaign, which was largely respectful, largely respectful, but it was really insulting to suggest that women were demanding terminations. I mean, no woman ever wants to find themselves in this situation. No man ever wants to find a woman they care for uh, in this situation, a woman that they love. But we... We, we have to obviously accept that it, it does happen. So how do we reduce the number of crisis pregnancies? If you look at what other countries have done in relation to contraception and uh, making it free or making it more affordable, better sex ed in our schools, uh, access to counselling services. I mean, these are all logical things that lots of other countries have done. And if you look again at Portugal and Spain, where they, I mean, we, we keep on being compared to Britain, the law we're trying to introduce is much more like the rest of Europe than Britain. If you look at what they've done there, they've put in the, the entire package of supports like the things I've just mentioned. And they actually saw over a number of years the number of terms in their country falling. So the international evidence is there. It does take a few years. It takes a number of years. You've got to obviously put the supports in place. So I will be, and I was going to do this whether it was a yes vote or a no vote, I will be moving ahead now with what they call the ancillary recommendations uh, starting in January as well. Uh, it, there was obviously a huge amount of, of 
congratulatory atmosphere um, around uh, after Saturday. Uh, it didn't take long for everything to come back down to earth. Sure, yeah. Government buildings with, yeah. With, with the adoption issue and everything. And of course then as well bubbling away in the background and not in the background for the women involved but the cervical sure. check um, issue. I just want to read you a quote actually. Susan Mitchell from the Sunday Business Post who, who has been covering health issues yeah, for absolutely. a long, long time and an expert in that regard um, on Thursday said um, I cannot understand why these women who the cervical check women she's talking about are still not in receipt of basic supports they were promised like medical cards travel and childcare expenses and counselling this should take days not weeks to organise Yeah and, and I saw that and Susan is, is it does a lot of good work in this area but there is huge progress being made I think so far there's 105 additional medical cards have been issued and we have women rightly requesting counselling appointments physio appointments assistance with other costs so there is progress being made but I do need to make this point I was determined when we put the scheme in place for not for this to be some sort of rigid scheme because the needs of every woman or her family will vary. So what we're doing is we're asking a public health nurse in the local area to visit each woman at a time that suits the woman. And some people are saying, give us a few days, you know, we have enough going mm. on, come back to us another time. Sit down with the woman in the privacy of her home and say, what does this package look like for you? For some, it might be access to an experimental drug. Uh, for some, it might be childcare costs. Others, cost of going to the hospital, different things. So I didn't want to have a one size fits all issue because it, there isn't one size yeah. here. There's lots of different families. So I am confident that those packages are being rolled out. I'm keeping a very close eye on it. We've appointed a national lead within the HSE, David Walsh, to do that. But I've also asked people like Vicky Phelan um, and others uh, to input into that uh, and I've put them directly in touch with the people rolling out the scheme as well. Yeah, because I know Stephen Donnelly as well in the Dáil on Thursday brought up uh, a situation of, of a woman who was borrowing money I think to access uh, appointments so like you're committing that, that look that that I, if that's happening that's going to be end very absolutely. quickly Absolutely I mean I'm, I'm committing that every woman uh, in the 209 or indeed her next of kin will have a personal appointment with a public health nurse to discuss what could we do to help them the government's made it clear resources aren't an issue in this regard um, but we, we're determined to get it right and make sure that the right supports In terms of how the women are treated um, and, and I'm conscious we, we don't want to talk about sp- very specific sure. cases uh, that that possibly before the courts but actually on that point of being before the courts um, early last month um, yourself the Taunashta the Taoiseach all spoke about keeping women out of the court process the adversarial nature of it Um, it hasn't been possible in all cases. Did, did you kind of maybe jump the gun a little bit, no, committing that this, this wouldn't happen? No, I don't think so. But maybe we should have made one other point, which I suppose I should make today. Everyone has a constitutional right to access our courts. That's the first thing. Any citizen in this country has a right to access the courts. What the government is saying, what I'm saying, is we don't want any woman to find themselves having to be dragged through the court system. So the system we have set up with the state claims agency, the people who manage this on behalf of the state, is a system whereby you register your claim in the court, mm. you put forward your, your claim in the court, and then you have an option of going to mediation, which is a less adversarial system. I don't want women having to be put in witness boxes and questioned. These are women who deserve our support. We need to mind them and look after them here in this country. They've been let down. There is another another factor, though, that I have to mention as well. Remember that all of the not all of the claims are against the state. There's also the involvement of a laboratory. So we have a system in place with the state claims agency that the attorney general has worked out with them, whereby a woman goes to court, registers a complaint, but then is offered a mediation process in, uh, instead of going through the court process. You mentioned the US labs. The difficulty, I assume, is that uh, that the state, the, through the state claims agency, the HC could admit liability for their part or, or, or yes. their part thereof in, in, yeah. in a particular case. 
Uh, but a, a lab somewhere in the States, wherever it might be, might say, well, no, we're not admitting liability. And and in that case, there's, there's nothing you can do. They, they well, Like see, I said, as much as the woman, that, that, that agency has a right to defend themselves. They, they do, but look, well. I mean, the, so look. The state, and in some cases, they'll have pri- provided indemnities, I think, as well to the state claims agency. So that in those situations, as far as I understand, once they get that indemnity, just from a legal point of view, a strictly legal point of view, they'll step away. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I suppose there's a couple of things here. The state, let me be very clear. In my view, the state has wronged these women. Um, by not disclosing their audit. So by not telling the women about their audit was was wronged and has added to their pain and hurt and the pain and hurt of their families. The state needs to rectify that. That's why we're putting the package of supports in place. That's why we're making sure there's a mediation option as well as a legal option. The issue in relation, in relation to the labs, though, it's an important point to make. We know in screening you have false negatives. We know in screening it's not diagnostics and you can't, it, it, so it's not the same as getting a diagnosis. You can be given the all clear, so to speak, mm. in non-medical language, the all clear, only to find out that actually sadly you did have cancer. So that's an important point I think people need to know. That is different though to negligence where it should have been found and was missed. Yes. Uh, And I suppose what we do have to establish and what the women of Ireland have a right to establish is which was it and which was it in each and every case. I want to see all of this happen though in a non-adversarial way. I can't stop nor it would be you know it's the constitutional right of anyone to go to court but I want to make sure there's alternative processes in place and that's why the Taoiseach constructed the State Claims Agency to make sure there was a mediation process and the State Claims Agency uh, have been very clear in, in putting out that message. They want to put mediation processes in place. Do you think some, uh, maybe some of your colleagues in the Dáil, uh, fellow TDs, have deliberately blurred those lines between screening and diagnostics? You know, I, like I, I've heard some, uh, and on the record, expressly stating that you know, women's that over two hundred women's lives hmm. in danger because of because of what happened. Yeah, yeah, like look, I mean, when people like Vicky Phelan, who who have just been so courageous and genuinely, it's it's a hackneyed phrase, but genuinely have done the state service, like. Vicky has been wronged, but Vicky is still out saying, please use the screening service. What we know is screening services save lives, not cost lives. We know we need to improve our screening service. And look, there is a, there's an irony in some people who campaigned against the HPV vaccine in the doll, something we know can actually prevent cervical cancer, now deciding to blur the lines in the doll. Look, I think most politicians and all political parties though know that this isn't party political. Let's just get this sorted for the women of Ireland, and that's what I'm determined to do. Uh, in terms of uh, investigating, I suppose, how various aspects of this happened and where liability might lie into the future, yeah. uh, the Dr. Scally report. Uh, what is the the timeline for so that report? So, Dr. Gabriel, Dr. Gabriel Scally is is an international expert in public health. He's he's already unearthed a lot of wrongs in different health services, including the UK, and was delighted uh, with his appointment and delighted was welcomed broadly by people. We've asked him to finish his work by the end of June, so by the end of this month, but we've also asked him to provide a progress report at the start of June. So I expect to receive that in the coming days um, just to see how much progress he's making, how's he getting on. He's also published a website called scallyreview.ie, S-C-A-L-L-Y review.ie. And again, any woman who wants to input or wants to interface with that or be kept up to date can go there as well. So I expect in the coming days to receive a progress report. And the, the contents of that progress report, will they be made public? Yeah, that's absolutely my intention, but I, but I haven't received it yet, but I should in the next couple of days. All right, Minister for Health, Simon Harris. Minister, thanks very much for Thank coming. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. On the record. On, the record. On News Talk.